the stages, the seasons, the cycles of the spiritual growth journey. And I want to start today by reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 11 to 17. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus. And the disciples, they're in bad shape. They're in rough shape. And one of Jesus' closest disciples, Mary Magdalene, comes to the tomb to pay her respects. And that's where we pick up in this passage. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white and they were seated where Jesus' body had been. One was at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, why are you crying? And Mary said, they've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. And then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Now today, we're going to be talking about stage four on the spiritual journey. And one of the things about stage four is we don't recognize Jesus. We don't recognize God anymore. And Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And she thought he was the gardener. And Mary said, To him, sir, if you have carried my Lord away, tell me where you have put him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. Something clicked in her. The sound of her name from a familiar voice. And she looked and she cried out, My teacher my rabbi. And then she embraced him in great joy. And Jesus said this to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Isn't that an interesting... I've often wondered about that. Because Jesus seemed... uh, That's something I would say. But I'm not a real huggy, feely kind of guy. But Jesus seems to be a huggy, feely kind of guy through most of the Gospels, right? That's the impression I get. And Jesus says, do not cling to me, Mary. For I have not ascended to the Father. What's going on here? I think Jesus is saying this. Don't hold on to me. Don't cling to me. To me, in this form. To the Rabbi Jesus that has become so familiar to you. Because Mary, I'm going to be different to you now. I will no longer be Rabbi Jesus. I'm ascending to the Father. Our relationship is going to be different. I will be the cosmic spirit of Christ to you. 
and within you. Mary, God is going to seem different to you now. Everything about your faith is going to change, Mary. But in order for you to get through this transition, you're going to have to let go. Do not cling to me. Do not cling to what was. Do not cling to who I have been to you. And it's amazing how quickly Mary gets this. It's probably one of the shortest stage fours that I've ever read about. (laughs) And what great affection Jesus has for Mary. How much love he has to just explain it to her. For, for, for most of us, it takes months, years for us to understand and come to grips with letting go. And I think this is such a powerful moment of grace where, where Jesus doesn't just abandon Mary. He, he makes that last appearance to her in, in such a personal, familiar way. What a special farewell he gives to Mary. But even with Mary, as close as she was to Jesus of Nazareth, she has to let go. And that's what we have to do in stage four. Think of how the disciples respond to the death of Jesus. I mean, everything changes. And in a sense, in stage four, Jesus dies for us, too. And I don't mean for our sins. I mean, Jesus the Jesus we've come to know and love disappears, is gone, fades away. The God that we have become so familiar with, in a sense, abandons us. At least that's how it feels. So like the disciples, everything changes. In fact, for the disciples, nothing about following Jesus makes sense anymore after he dies. It doesn't make sense. The plan has changed. There is no plan. That's why they go back to fishing, right? And nothing about following Jesus can make sense with their beliefs, with their understanding, and with the expectations that they have. They require a shift in consciousness for their faith to continue making sense. That's exactly what happens to us in stage four disorientation disillusionment deconstruction and to throw a G in for good measure it's grieving we grieve in stage four so stage one to recap all the D's that we have been going through so far stage one is discovering we discover God and we see that in the gospel story the disciples encounter God through Jesus in an amazing way in fact often there's a a miracle accompanies them encountering God through Rabbi Jesus what happens when Nathaniel is called Nathaniel uh, is told hey I think we found the Messiah and when he meets Jesus Jesus says oh a true Israelite in whom there is no guile Nathaniel is like how do you know me? What are you talking about? And Jesus says, I saw you sitting under the fig tree. And it blows Nathaniel's mind. Something about this 
experience makes Nathaniel think, this man has supernatural powers. He saw me sitting under the fig tree. This miraculous event that helps Nathaniel encounter God, discover God through Jesus of Nazareth. Peter, James, and John, what happens when they're called? Jesus performs a miracle. The the fish discovers God under miraculous circumstances. That's what stage one is about. D, discovering. Discovering God. Stage two is about discipleship. Jesus calls the disciples. We call them disciples. Obviously, they've been through stage two. Calls them to discipleship, where they learn about God, where they belong to a group. That's what stage two is about. Stage three is doing. Discovering, discipleship, doing. It's all about doing, productivity, doing for God. We, we discover our gifts and we use our gifts and we feel recognized and, and we feel like we matter to the group. Not only that our uniqueness and gifts have been recognized, but we contribute. And naturally, we want to stay in that stage because it feels good. We feel important. We feel like we are serving God. It feels like the last stage, right? And the disciples had entered this doing stage. Jesus was no longer just teaching them. They were apprentices. Jesus sent them out. He said, you feed them. You heal them. You cast out the demons. They were doing and they were experiencing success. So much success that they... They probably thought they were a little more important than they were, as we read that importantly. But that's what success does to us, right? And then comes stage four, disillusionment, disorientation, deconstruction. And we come out of stage four when we rediscover God. But we rediscover God within. In fact, many call this stage four the journey inward. And the disciples, in order to go through stage four, they need to let go of the plan. They need to let go of their theology. They need to let go of who they think Jesus is, who they think God is. In fact, they need to let go of everything. That's exactly what we need to do. There's a reason stage four isn't the most popular stage. Because up until now, through stage one, stage two, stage three, up till now, the focus has been on externals. God is out there or the community out there, or doctrines and creeds that are objective, that we can look at. Nature, for some of us. Leadership, using gifts, serving, manifesting gifts of spirit. It's, the focus is outward and external. And now we face an abrupt change. We enter this mode of questioning, exploring, falling apart, doubting, sinking into uncertainty, and there's a certain element of indulging in self-centeredness. Which for anyone who has been through a good regiment of discipleship really struggles with to start contemplating and focusing on self. That's been trained out of us, right? I've heard a number of people describe this stage. It's surprising how many people I've heard use this exact phrase. I feel like I'm in free fall. We feel hopeless and we often look hopeless to others at this stage. Stage two and stage three folks They might not say it, but you can see it in their eyes. It's kind of like, get it together. Come on. Now, the sad truth is many of our leaders, our pastors, our priests, our ministers have not been through stage four. 
And in our defense, because I am a part of that group, we have a lot to lose, <laughs> uh, including our jobs. There's, we are expected to disciple. We are expected to be productive. I can't show up Sunday morning. I'm sorry, I'm in stage four. I didn't have time to write a sermon. Or someone has a crisis of faith. Sorry, I'm in stage four. I'm kind of doubting God this week too. It's not allowed for most pastors, most ministers, most priests. So what happens when you, when you get into a role of spiritual leadership is as soon as the invitation to stage four, you, you have to discount it in order to continue to fulfill the expectations, maybe that are not even externally imposed upon you. They might simply be your own expectations for the role, the position. And so what that means is most pastors, most ministers, most priests are inadequate, inappropriate, unfit guides for you as you go through stage four. And usually their counsel to you will be what they say to themselves. Get back to stage two. (laughs) Get back to stage three. They won't put it that way because they, stage four doesn't even exist. Well, it does, but we call it backsliding. (laughs) or taking a sabbatical from serving, because serving is what matters. This productivity, doing, doing, doing for God. That's what matters. And of course, we leaders have an invested interest in keeping you all in stage three. We have a church to run. (laughs) If we have all of you all of a sudden in stage four, (sighs) chairs don't get set up. (laughs) Nobody's leading worship. Nobody... (laughs) And... And we, thank God that we all don't enter. I, I, to be honest with you, because of my, my nature and how I'm wired, stage four people, we get along. But I could not handle a church full of stage four people. For many reasons. One of the reasons being that church would cease to exist after several months. <laughs> Why are we even meeting? This doesn't make sense. <laughs> right? We need each other. We need all the stages One of the misconceptions about the stages of spiritual growth is that higher stages are better. Or that higher stages get us closer to God. And that is not true. Could Mary have been closer to Jesus in that moment? God is equally accessible to us in every stage. What happens, the whole purpose of this spiritual development process, is that more of us becomes accessible to God. That's what's happening. But it's not our timing. We can't force it to happen. I remember in my late 20s, early 30s, I I wanted to be a righteous, holy, spirit-filled man of God, so I tried to rush the process. And most pastors in their late 20s, early 30s do the same thing, or they just act like they're in stage six. Beware of those ones. The spiritual development process isn't about God becoming more accessible to us or God's love becoming more real to us. Experiencing God's presence and God's love in stage one, frankly, it can be more overwhelming and more beautiful and more pure than than other stages. What's happening is more of us is becoming accessible. And that means discovering more of us. That's what stage four is about. We can't make more of ourselves accessible to God until we start to explore the depths of who we are. That's uncomfortable for most of us because it means we need to go into the cave and meet the lion that lives within. We all have monsters in there. 
Well, most of us are so comfortable and self-sufficient at stage three that we have no tendency to move on. In fact, stage four doesn't even look like it's part of the journey for us. And we're usually propelled into stage four by an event that's outside ourselves. Very rarely will we initiate this movement into stage four. It's usually a crisis that turns our world upside down. That's what it was for the disciples. It was the death of the one that they thought was going to inaugurate the new kingdom of God (laughs) on earth in real time and space. For us, it's usually a crisis that rocks our core. Our children, our spouse, extremely close friends, our work, our health, our faith. And here's the thing. For the first time, our faith doesn't seem to work. I shudder thinking about it. It's a horrible moment that we have to go through. Neither God nor our faith provides what we need to comfort us, to heal us, to answer our prayers, fulfill our desires, change our circumstances, solve our problems, whatever it is that we need, whether perceived or real. Our faith in God no longer is the answer. Our formula of faith doesn't work anymore. We're stumped, we're hurt, we're angry, we're betrayed, we're abandoned, we feel unheard, we feel unloved. We may want to give up, and what happens quite frequently is our faith now seems to have been a mirage, a fraud. And in that moment, you know, the voice of all our sophisticated, agnostic, atheist friends finally starts to ring true. It's just a crutch. You need to get over it. It's a loss of certainty and what I call the great unravel. And the great unraveling is you. Oh, how stark in contrast to stage three when so many things seem to be true, certain, and successful. And what happens, one of the first shifts is that we're no longer looking for answers. We're seeking a direction. In fact, many of the answers now have a hollow ring to them for us. We move from a posture of one who knows to one who is seeking. And we have a sense we're not looking for an answer or a set of answers anymore. At this point, all we can say is we're seeking a direction. But it's often so vague and so unclear that it's frightening to us. Because through stages one and three, vagueness has not been a virtue in our faith. We're seeking deep inner direction, peace, wholeness in our brokenness. Maybe we're looking for a deep psychological and spiritual healing or for life's true meaning. Whatever it is, the journey has to go inward. The scariest place of all, perhaps. Stage four allows us, it invites us, it compels us to know ourselves more fully and to know God more fully. And we may experience a complete turnabout in our concept of both ourselves and God. And I use the term may loosely. 
And this is usually a slow process, though not a sudden shift. Although for some it is. Like for Mary, all of a sudden it seemed she gets it. For most of us, it's not like that. At stage five, we finally discover who God wants us to be, which is more profound than who we think we are. But it might not have as many of the ego strokes as we thought it should, but we're not consumed by the ego strokes in stage five, so we can't even go there. Stage four is about freeing us to see and to be our full selves in our relationship with God, not blinded by who others want us to be or who we expect ourselves to be. And this process of liberation can be lonely. It can be frustrating. People who desperately want security and solace will stop, and they will go back. Stage two and stage three are are much easier, but they will never be enough once you've received the divine invitation to the great unraveling. There'll always be this discontent and this doubt and this... You might as well, as Alan Janine said, you might as well just go through it. It's not going away. There are fewer travelers on the journey at this stage, less traffic, but this can add to the loneliness and confusion. Maybe I am off the rails. Maybe I am losing my faith. Especially when you see other people you respect and admire who seem to think you're off the rails. That's tough. It's hard to develop a sense of belonging at this stage because the journey is so personal. It's really between you and God. And this isolation can make us feel like we're wrong or that we're weak. But we cannot look at our spiritual needs at this stage without including our whole selves. That's the point. And to go back to stages two or three, it's not going to include our whole selves. It's not going to include our shadow which is what we desperately need to integrate, or one of the things, that, aspects of ourselves that we need to integrate in stage four. Because in stage four, our spirituality becomes our whole selves as we proceed. Once you receive the divine invitation, you know this is the way forward. You may struggle with it for a few months, a few years. But somewhere deep inside, you know this is the way forward. And one of the biggest shifts is that God changes for us. We discover painfully that God is not who we had thought God was. We're talking many people in in stage three have been Christians for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And to come to this point where you have been walking and and, and, you're doing your devotions every day and you have given everything to God. And then to come to this point where God is not who you thought God was. It can be very disorienting. Instead of a God we had figured out, we now have to contend with a God who is much more personally available to us. But it does not feel this way, at least during the darkest hour of this stage. But eventually we come to see that we had constrained and caged God or put God in a box in our previous stages. Now, everybody says that. So just because someone says, oh, we shouldn't put God in a box, that doesn't mean you're stage four. That's just part of our lingo now, right? That's just, (laughs) you are now a member of a church. Here's one of the things you're going to need to say on occasion. Don't put God in a box, right? 
God no longer represents our Father, Savior, Rescuer, Mother, whatever it has been for you. And that is really hard to let go of. Like Mary, do not cling to me. She calls him rabbi, right? Teacher. Don't cling to Rabbi Jesus. Things are going to get, things are going to get different. You're going to see I'm much more. Much more than Rabbi Jesus. That same with God. Don't cling to Father God. Or Savior God. Or whatever it has been to you. Things are going to get a lot different. It's good. Maybe I should keep say that more often. New healing images come. So yes, we let go of some of the words or images we have for God. And new ones come. And they're healing. They're so different that we really struggle to accept them. And especially depending on our theological background or some of our spiritual experiences, we may, we may start to get, is this of the devil? Is this new age stuff starting to get to me? Have I been reading too many Catholic books? Whatever it is, you're going to start to wonder, how can this image be God? I've never had thought of God in that way before. We fight against the changes in the images of God. And sometimes we fight against them because we believe God wants us to. Somehow, I don't know when this happened, but at some point in the journey, we thought our obligation was to protect and defend God as Christians. As soon as we become attached to our images of God, that's when God gets offended. Because now we're into idolatry. We may have to confront some of the people that have shaped our faith and our images of God up to this point. That's always risky business. Do a lot of prayer before you do that. Because most of these people meant well. More often than not, what we need to do is extend forgiveness for the wounds that we have received. Well, getting stuck. It's easy to get stuck in this stage. And you you don't want to. And one of the ways we get stuck is always questioning. I call these people deconstruction junkies. And I'm a recovering one. I'm addicted to the process of deconstruction. My name is Troy Watson, and I am addicted to the process of deconstruction. It can be an addiction where there's always another question. That's kind of what children are like, right? Have you ever tried to resolve the infinite string of why questions from a child? But why? Why is the sky blue? Well, because of certain wavelengths that... Ref- but why? You know, at the end, you, you need to go to a therapist, right? Yes. I don't know why. I'm a stupid man, okay? <laughs> I don't have an answer. Is that what you want to hear? Oh. You have become my therapist. All right, back to the script. We always have this lingering doubt, trying every possible road to new insight. I mean, a part of the deconstruction, we become addicted to those aha moments, you know? I never thought about it like that before. And then as soon as we've thought about it like that before, we need to get onto a different way of thinking about it. 
Because that's old news. It lasts for like seven minutes. Then we need another aha moment that deconstructs the aha moment we just had. We seem so open on the surface, us deconstruction junkies, but what is really happening is, is deep within, we're closed off. I mean, you could use the cliche, we're afraid of commitment, but it's really an, a fear of letting go to our own idea of what pursuing truth is, right? Letting go of our own attachment and addiction to the way we pursue truth and to exposing ourselves and our deep needs because we need more than simply to understand. We need more than aha moments. There are things that we need, deep inner healing from our wounds, emotional healing that we are not yet ready to expose to ourselves, let alone others, and to God. Always questioning. The second way we become stuck at stage four is we become consumed with self-assessment and introspection. The existential navel-gazers. We become consumed with finding self rather than finding faith. We try personal growth just to know ourselves better. We really become quite enamored with ourselves and how much there is to discover about ourselves. We want to know things about us that make us better or more positive or more insightful or more successful, but that do not require us to give up our will and be changed. No matter what's going on, the call of Christ is always sacrifice of will. That's always an ingredient. We are unwilling to experience our shadow side in our pursuit of personal development. And we're unwilling to rediscover God. It's not about discovering God. It's about discovering how awesome I am or can be. We seek something that we can reason through instead of feel. Or if we are feelers, we seek something we can feel instead of reason through. But what it comes down to is we want God to be personal growth. We make an idol of personal growth. We become addicted to it. We worship it. It becomes our God. The third way we become stuck is we become immobilized. We get stuck because of a lack of intimacy with self and others. We can't connect fully with other people because of fear of being found out. We can't reach inward, and we're unable to reach outward. We may have been so hurt in childhood that we are numb. We can't feel because feeling would be too painful. So our discomfort usually drives us to some earlier stage. I've said that about seven times, so I'm not going to dwell on that. And the journey begins to go in circles. No answer is the right answer. And we must admit to God we are ready to give up trying to find a way out. Because that's what we're doing, right? The the immobilization is we're looking around for a way around it, a way under it, a way over it, and so we just get stuck spinning our wheels until we come to the point where we are willing to lean into our fear and lean into our pain. So sometimes we drop off the journey altogether. The pain or the crisis seems too much, so we cut ourselves off from God. God. 